0: Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we talk about important topics through a biblical lens. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Please look up our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or always on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, audio and video. If you forget all that, please go to www.conversationswithbendixon.com. Something new is we used to have our podcast dropped every Monday, and now we're doing it every other Monday because we want to keep up with the pace. There's a lot going on. I know you got a lot going on. It's not just for anticipation, although that's a good reason too. We're just trying to keep up with the pace so that we can do this long. Term. So every other Monday, we're going to be uh, dropping a new episode. Thank you for joining us. Do share this with other people. We want everyone to join the conversation and we want these to matter. We want these to be very important uh, subjects that we can talk about. You're always submitting different topics to me. We want to talk about as many of these things as we can. So thank you for tuning in and sharing this. Today, I have a special guest with us here in the studio, Pastor Dave Veach. How are you doing, Dave? Great, Ben. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Can I read your credentials real quickly? If you don't know Dave, many of of you know Dave. Currently, Dave is what I I would say you're a leadership consultant and coach for Pastors, Leaders, Churches, Mm -hmm. and formerly known formerly known as the District Supervisor of Northwest Churches in the Foursquare Denomination. So for over a decade, you were over 300 churches, 200 to 300 churches. So you have a vantage point as it pertains to churches and leaders. Correct. Yeah. And so I'm excited. You should be excited. Here, Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about leading through covid because it's still here and it hasn't gone away. And I think Dave is the perfect person to have this conversation with because he's talking to a lot of pastors. He has a vantage point on many churches and has for years. And so I want to glean as much as I can for you. And so do expect to hear some things that are not just for churches at large, like a group of people, or maybe you as a church member or a Christian a concerned Christian. uh, Where are we going? Where are we at? What do we need to do? But also for you, if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor or you're on staff at a church, you're a senior pastor, I think you're going to hear some things that might be Helpful, potentially Mm -hmm. therapeutic. Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) We're thinking about you. uh, And Dave's very helpful to me also, even as we're talking before the podcast, a lot of things that he's sharing with me that are just helpful and and we need that. So I pray that this is a helpful conversation uh, to you. But let me just start by saying uh, this. When when we were going into the new year, uh, 2021 was in front of us, December of 2020, I put out a video to our church. And in that video, I was highly optimistic. I'm not going to call myself prophetic, but I'm saying I was highly optimistic. And I told our church through the video, I said, hey, I believe things are going to get better. You know, it's that typical, like, things are going to get better. The sun's going to shine. Perfect life's Perfect vision going to get in re- 2020. Right? <laughs> life's 2020 vision in <laughs> 2020. <laughs> uh, that was not prophetic. It was pathetic. Okay. So I was saying to everyone, uh, things are going to get better. And here's the deal. Guys. Things got better. Uh, but what I didn't say, and I couldn't know, is they wouldn't stay better, okay? Right. Now, that's not what I said. I just, things would get better. And they did. And so we went into the summer, and everybody was happy because it was mask-off summer, and uh, it seemed like things were subsiding, and nobody had ever heard about the Delta. We were just living in the Alpha. And and all of a sudden, this news of the surge of the Delta comes, and the R-naught is double to triple uh, as far as being contagious. And before you know it, the cases, the number of cases of COVID just shot up and hospitalization shot up and all that comes with that. And so we're trying, as churches, we're trying to manage that. Now we know from just being around people who, who live in the business world, the educational sector and the medical world, Everybody is dealing with this on every level. So jobs, hospitals, schools, homes, sports, kids, everything you can think of, we're all sort of hurting from this. And I think the desire is to go back, even though we've heard, we're not going back, we need to go forward. There is a sense in all of us, like maybe not to go back, but to go normal. Like what is the new normal even? We're trying to stabilize And I think that's fair. I think it's fair to stabilize. But I remember just as a pastor and wanting to lead our church through all this, one of the things that I did is I put together uh, some public communication, a letter, a sermon, I called it uh, Responding to COVID 2.0. And the reality was, is I just wanted to be responsible with the information that we had. And really what we had gleaned over the last... A season of time, being together, going forward, wanting to still reach people and make disciples and be the church. I realized that this news of the Delta was a, was a real serious blow to mm-hmm. the church because it, it got at something at the core of like, things aren't ever going to be normal again. And so I've said this, and I think this is true, is that I don't, I don't think there is a going back and I don't know that COVID is ever gonna go away as far as we can right. tell. It seems like variants are, are are coming and there's there's more of them is from what I read, there's gonna be more of them. And we're trying to learn how to live with this instead of hope that it goes away. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, I, I started positioning myself and our church quite a bit differently. How do we live with this? How do we think through this? How do we keep uh, stay safe and sane at the same time because it's polarized, it's politicized, um, but public uh, public health and safety is a reality. And we've kind of positioned ourselves as a church in the middle. And that's almost impossible to do because we're all True. touched by a bias. But I wanted to, in, in that vein, talking about how it is that we lead through this and not try to get out of this. We can't get out of this. How do we lead through this? I wanted to ask you a ton of questions and springboard off of that. And the first one, Dave, I want to ask you is in your from your vantage point, you see a lot of churches, you talk with a ton of pastors far more than I ever will at this season. Um, what are you concerned about most when it comes to the church? right now. What are some top concerns mm-hmm. um, that just come to your mind when you think about, hey, we need to lead through COVID? What are some of the things that come up to you?
1: Well, I think the probably the biggest concern I have when we're talking about the church and pastors is just how healthy or unhealthy they are. And so anytime there's pressure, uh, extraordinary pressure on a leader, it just squirts out what's inside of us. Mm-hmm. And so A lot of people just have not had the bandwidth, the emotional place to keep going after 18 months of COVID. They're like, had all these different other things happen in coordination with that, It felt like. And so now all of a sudden, they're just depleted, you know. And so the church is um, down significantly as far as like uh, actual attendance. Mm -hmm. And so how does that impact the leader. Um, So, the church itself is not going to go away. The church isn't going to die. The church is not irrelevant, but it has to make some significant changes to be able to effectively function through this next decade or a couple decades, what is a church going to look like? And I think that's probably most concerning to me is that not enough churches and leaders are asking the right questions as Mm. far as like, what am I going to do differently? Because Mm -hmm. what I'm doing today or these last 18 months obviously is not very significant or at least feeling significant or like making life changes in people's not finding salvations and not making true disciples at this point, just trying to stay alive. So what am I going to do differently? And that's probably one of the things that I'm asking leaders the most is, what are you going to do differently? And uh, and I'm not hearing very much.
0: And the picture I get when you're talking is like, um, when a person goes into a health crisis, and let's say uh, they're in a coma in the hospital, they're on life support, right? right? They're not playing ball with their kids. They're not working their job They're not fruitful in life. They're not doing the things that they once did. They're on life support. So literally this machine is keeping them alive. Many of us have gone through that Mm -hmm. medically. It's Mm -hmm. a terrible thing uh, to have a loved one go through that. But when the church is on life support, Mm -hmm. sort of metaphorically, uh, we really want to think through how do we get off life support and become this living thing that Mm -hmm. breathes into the communities that we're a part of, gives life to everything that we're around. The church is called to be that. So it really is a time of reflection. I think the last 18 months has been a time of reflection. We're on life support now. And we first started feeling guilty about that, or people were reacting in politicized, polarized ways. So now we have to stop kind of doing that and say, the mission is, make disciples, reach people that don't know Jesus, spend ourselves, don't live by default, live by intentionality. All of that's really important. And I think there's a good word there is that we got to get off life support. That's the start. And we have to start living in these communities that we're a part of and do what the mission really uh, really is. Um, Are you concerned? How concerned are you about the polarization? Uh, We could talk about the politicizing, but just the polar, like to me, Churches, uh, the church can be so polarized because you have all these different people and perspectives and we have kind of bring our politics and our background and our offenses and stuff that's being said or, or whatever. How concerned are you about the polarization? What does that play into all this?
1: Well, it's just so anti-biblical. It's just so um, opposed to the what Jesus has commanded us to do, and what's what we find in the local church today is the polarization, and the biblical word for that would be disunity, mm-hmm. and Jesus would call us to unity. And what you find is people saying, "No, you're bad. I'm good. You're, I'm right. You're wrong," um, and that's not unity. And so, uh, the Bible says they'll know us by our love. And I'm not seeing that very much. Mm -hmm. I think we should bring back the WWJD bracelet. (laughs) You know, nobody's wearing those anymore because they're saying, well, you're offending my rights, and I believe, and I'm right, and you're wrong. I'm good, you're bad, as opposed to what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. That was probably the question that we need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis. What would Jesus do in this situation? How Mm -hmm. would he respond? How would he treat my pastor? How would he respond to my local church? And I think it'd be way different than many of our our um, believers, so-called believers, are
0: responding today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's whatever our biases or whatever our opinion is is giving us a sort of a reason, a wrong reason to get out of the biblical mandate of love God, love people. I mean, it's so simple, right? right. Like, love God, love people. You wouldn't use that excuse if if you were talking about your marriage, or at least you shouldn't. Right? <laughs> you go through a conflict, a difficulty, a difference with your marriage, it wouldn't hold, it wouldn't hold any weight. Like I'm right, wife or husband, you know, how would that work out? You just live in constant tension in your Mm -hmm. home. Um, I think part of it too, is that we don't see the church rightly. If we saw the church as a family, Mm -hmm. it would change. And it would, it would, that mandate of loving each Mm -hmm. other would completely shift and morph uh, into the necessity of treating people the right way. And I think that's important too. I am... A thought that came to me, and this is totally off, uh, maybe it's a branch of a tree here, but in our polarization, you know, typically we do have politics play a role into this. You have liberal, you have conservative or or leftist Mm -hmm. and and right-wing, and and there are extreme versions of all of of that. Um, One of the popular things that I see people say today as it pertains to the church, which I think is fairly unhealthy, but I wanted to see if you've been hearing this or how, how you kind of think about this, is it's really popular today probably from the conservative side to say if the church would have been doing what they were supposed to this would have never happened. Mm. I don't know if you've seen a lot of that but I see those posts still today. I mean this is 18 months later it's like the church. So in other words the the church I think that comes from the perspective that potentially covid is a hoax but if the church would have been standing up and taking a stand and and uh, whatever this ambiguous, undefined thing is that we're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing, if the church would have been doing this, then we would never be in this situation. Um, th- those kind of statements are really mind boggling to me. Uh, and I think what happens is when people post that, say that, believe that, and then they come to church, how how could you even look at your pastor or even like any leadership or or what we do as a church with any respect? Because you kind of have this underlying, underlying thing that says, mm-hmm. this is a sham, you're a show, you're not doing what I think you should be doing. I mean, whatever the thing is, like whatever the thing is that Pastor Dave and Pastor Ben should be doing, or this church, Northwest Church, or our church, or that church, they should be, whatever the thing is. But like, how... It's, it, these are easy, like the labels, you know, like the labels are so strong. I, if people don't lay those down, I don't see how they're going to make it in church. Like mm-hmm. I don't see how they're going to be life-giving members to the mission of Christ, united with the body of Christ, if this, these are these weird things that we believe. You see a lot of these weird things out there that people are believing that are really deeply affect, they're like a cancerous root into our experience.
1: Yeah, we live in such a polarized culture today where social media, you talked about posts, was where you're seeing this. I mean, this has never been part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And now all of a sudden, everyone's posting everything they think. And one of my favorite uh, Proverbs is even a fool looks wise when he's silent, you know. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, uh, I like to listen to sports talk radio. But one of the things I like to listen to in that is just how foolish people are. Like you have no idea what you're talking about, and you're just talking like you know what these professional athletes should be doing, who've given their entire life <laughs> to training and study this stuff. You know, eight hours, tw- twelve hours a day, but you know better because you sit on a in a, on a couch on Sunday afternoon. And so we, we live in such a different world. I, I just was recently reading a book called The Second Mountain by David Brooks, and he's quoting Abraham Lincoln and saying during his second inaugural address, mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln had the opportunity to destroy America, to divide it even more on North and South. The, the, uh, the Civil War was coming to an end. It was obvious the North was going to win. And he could have said, look, you guys are wrong slavery was horrible. It was your idea. We're the righteous. You're the unrighteous. Now get in line and do what we said. Instead, he called it an American problem. The quote that we all still know from fifth grade civics is is malice towards none and charity for all. But that's not what we hear today. What we hear today in social media posts is, You know, my side is really, really smart. Your side is really stupid. Even in the news, I spend my time going between the left and the right just to see what each other are saying. Mm. And generally, all they're saying is the other side is really, really stupid. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, here's the news. They're saying, this side is really bad. They're saying, this side is really bad. Mm -hmm. And and whether you believe that or not is really irrelevant because all it does is polarize our Mm -hmm. country. And so we've taken that part of culture into everything, including the church. And so now it's mm. like my pastor's good, your pastor's bad, or my pastor said X, and therefore it's Y. And so uh, I was talking to the to someone that um, leads a large organization recently. And they told me that one email told them that they could no longer follow them as the leader of this organization because they'd gotten the vaccine. They'd never even told people they'd done that. It wasn't even public knowledge. The very next email said, why are, no, why are we not mandating this for our entire organization?" And so, here you have people inside the same organization with the exact opposite views wanting to know why you as a leader aren't doing what they believe is right, as opposed to what Abe was saying back back then, like, you know what? We're going to work this together. We're going to come back together. We're going to build a nation. And we're not saying that today. We're just saying, you're evil, I'm right, and I'm good. And so, we have to call people to biblical standards. Mm -hmm. If there's an issue, I think that this has put a big, big, big spotlight on is discipleship. Mm -hmm. Discipleship... um, I, I mean, I, I grew up in the in the seeker movement. I mean, I was wildly hostile. Then got got touched by the seeker movement, and so I was really working hard on getting people to make decisions. And then we would try to get them into a track where they would become uh, devoted followers of Jesus. The problem was it was more focused on decisions and less on discipleship. And so today, who is discipling our people is not the church or their or their. Their biblical reading. They're being discipled by these, the left or the right, Mm -hmm. one or the other, Mm -hmm. not in the middle, as opposed to becoming truly devoted followers of Jesus. For example, there's a statistic that I just read from Ed Stetzer, I believe it was in Outreach Magazine, that says we've all heard that 80% of people, Americans, say they're Christians today. We've also recently seen in statistics that only 6% have a biblical worldview. So those 80% that say they're Christians are representing us, horribly, I might add, because they're not, they are not—they don't have a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And only of that 80%, only 20% of them believe that the Holy Spirit is even an entity. They actually believe the Holy Spirit is symbolic. Mm. So they don't have a even close to a biblical worldview, let alone knowing God and knowing the Holy Spirit. I mean, how can you know Jesus? How can you be a true Christ follower and not understand that the Holy Spirit lives within you? Mm -hmm. Like That's that's like 101, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, 60% of those that that say they're following Jesus publicly, they say that, Mm. are not even understanding this. And so, we have a huge discipleship Issue. And I think if there's some things that the church would want to start focusing on, is like, what kind of disciples am I making? Right. Instead of what kind of service am I having. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we focus on how many people are in the sanctuary, how many nickels and noses. That's what we can count, as opposed to how many disciples have I gone from zero to sending out as a leader, fully devoted, fully discipled, fully functioning God. Following Jesus, loving Holy Spirit filled disciples that are going to go turn, make more disciples. Mm-hmm. But we usually it's just it's really difficult to count, and so we count nickels and noses. That, I, I, I get that, but really what we want to be focusing on is how do we change that from six percent mm-hmm. having a biblical worldview to those people in our in our sphere and that we're creating as followers truly. Knowing and understanding who Jesus is.
0: Yeah, discipleship is, I mean, this is the mandate and the mission of Jesus. At our church, we say, lost, saved, disciples made. Right. um, I think it's, you know, getting off life support right now is waking up to the mission, right? That's really what it is. And so a lot of times people are when they say I've woken up, but they're angry because we're polarized. And so Mm -hmm. they've woken up to more of a political agenda of wanting to force the Christianizing of a nation. That would be the conservative side. And then the liberal side is like, you know, you guys are killing everybody. You have no compassion. You know, it's, labelism is so strong right now. And I think, and again, we all have our views. You know, I don't, I don't think I've never advocated that people not have views. I just think they have to have a transcendent view and that is discipleship matters. We need to reach people. Eternity is at stake. It doesn't mean we don't care about the here and now you can't, you can indict me for (laughs) maybe not focusing on today as much, but the reality is, is that we do focus on today, but we also have to focus on tomorrow and what we're doing, why we're doing it and how that matters in eternity. I think, um, the polarizing is real. Just as a pastor, the polarizing is is strong enough. Even if I'm not swayed by it in my own life, it pulls me in because of what I'm trying to lead. Sure, it's pull, it It pulls me in and it pulls me in. I would say, just if I were to confess, pulls me in to react to those that are presenting what I would consider more extreme views. So I'm like reacting and I have to stop myself mm-hmm. from reacting occasionally. As I told our church at our membership meeting I said you've watched me bleed sometimes on the stage. Yeah. I try not to. I try to hold it back, but it's like somebody that's been stabbed puts their hand on the wound and tries not and hopes nobody sees the gushing. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm trying to not bleed right now, but my I'm re, I'm reacting right. to the polarization because I'm I realize how destructive that it is and I too am confronted with the reality that I can't control people and stopping them from what it, what it is that they're involved in or saying or the rhetoric that's that's go, that's going on right now pastors are burning out there's no doubt about that mm-hmm. churches um, have struggled and suffered through this and that's terrible because we need the church in the days ahead right. if we're going to reach the world and the way Jesus called us So let me ask you this Dave as we see pastors burning. Uh, some pastors are burning out. May, and maybe you don't know this. I just wanted to say for those that are watching or listening if you don't know this, uh, churches are suffering and struggling. And under these polarizing labels and the weight of it, and what we're struggling with too, as individuals and church members, like Pastors are, some of them are burning out. Some yeah. of them are not handling this well. And it right. isn't because they're just immature. It isn't just because they suck <laughs> or or they uh, shouldn't be a pastor. Or it's, I mean, this is just a lot to deal with right now. So yeah. have you ever, as a pastor, you've have, you have a long career in history of pastoring and and leading churches and overseeing churches? Mm -hmm. Have you ever hit a wall and burnout and struggled through that? And if so, what was that like?
1: Yeah, for me, um, my early 30s um, were pretty dark. Um, I grew up in the... I always say I grew up in the church of the open bottle. That's (laughs) not like the open... Door. It was the open (laughs) bar. And so, uh, growing up in that church, um, coming to Jesus at 18 in complete brokenness, Mm -hmm. then it was um, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with his church, falling in love with the word, and... Just pray harder, longer, faster. And so, um, you know, I just jumped right in with both feet. Uh, and probably the reason that I was not a very good discipler as a pastor is I was really never discipled. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was more a matter of I was just hungry for God, and so I was at everything. It didn't matter what was going on. I was there. And so that's what I told people do. Just go to small group. Go to church. Go to every time the door is open. Just go, 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 go. And if you do that, you're going to catch it because that's how I did and so here I am in the mid 30s, and I'm pastoring this church. I'm up on Woodby Island. I got a hundred people, and and they don't like me, and I don't like them, and um, it's a great situation. And all of a sudden, one of my closest friends leaves his wife. Um, a special needs baby dies. This is all within one week. One of my staff members was having an affair with one of our missionaries. This is all within one week, and all of a sudden, um, I'm in I'm I'm in literally in the fetal position. And what I learned through that whole situation um, was, first of all, there was no such thing as counseling back then. nobody I, I didn't know anybody that did that. I didn't know anybody that I just didn't know. I mean, you just prayed harder, faster, longer, stronger, spoken tongues more, whatever it was, you know, worship harder, and that would take care of it. But what the problem was is I was trying to build something.
0: Mm.
1: And every one of those issues that I just— Related um, was my responsibility and my mind. And so, consequently, I was a failure. And so, you know, how could God ever trust me if I can't lead? And so I ended up, you know, um, I ended up a mess. And so I ran into this book at that point in my life by Menrith Meyer called Love is a Choice. Mm-hmm. I started reading through that, found, it, found out the addictive cycle of life, and I went from one addiction to to a, to church being my addiction. And so, all of a sudden, I'm trying to figure out how to live a healthy life. Now, the problem with today is now I've worked through all that. I've been through tons of classes and group therapy. I mean, I could go on, to, on and on, all the <laughs> stuff I've done. But the problem today is now I was leading in a very pastor-friendly culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Whidbey Island is very military. It's a lot of middle America. Middle America is who joins the military. Neither coast joined the military, generally speaking. Um, these people are God and country. They're coming because they're they're wanting to serve their country. That's where I was serving, right, in, right off Naval Air Station Whidbey. So they were really easy um targets, let's say, for the gospel. Because mm-hmm. they already had that in their, their DNA. Today, um, and, and pastors were highly respected. Today, we're one of the least respected and and considered villains to culture. So you have that happening, and then you have the pandemic happening, and then you have social justice, and you're, you know, you're either on that favor for that side or you're woke and that's a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like Everything in our culture right now has just ratcheted up. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a place where I was when I was hitting the wall as a young leader, and then you have these extra pressures upon you that you didn't even know existed, and all of a sudden they're confronting you, and you're emotionally fragile, you've taken hits. And one of the things that I hear most from pastors today isn't, you know, that there's less people there. It's like my best friend, who I thought was gonna do life with me the rest of my life, literally just walked out of my office door and told me I was a, I don't know, fill in the blank, heretic, bad person, evil, you're on the wrong side, you're whatever it is, and this is the person I thought I was going to do life with. This is the person that, you know, we did vacations together. We, we did their families' weddings and funerals. And, um, you know, these were our people. These are our best friends. And so that is just taking a huge, huge hit mm-hmm. on the emotional um, psyche of a leader. Mm-hmm. And then you have all of this going on, and you're trying to lead through a pandemic that just doesn't seem to want to end. And and then you're in trouble. It doesn't matter what side. If you say masked, half your church is mad at you. If you say mandate, half your church is mad at you. If you say anything, it doesn't matter about the the issues that are going on today. And so, churches are literally at half of what they were. Their finances are down, and they're emotionally uh, diff- they're emotionally in a difficult place. Mm-hmm. And this is not anything new. So I tell my story to say like, I went through this as a young leader. Every young leader is going through this. And then you pile all of what's going on today on that. They're in a very fragile place right now. And the emotional health of how they're dealing with this is really the issue. Now, all of that aside, doesn't make me alarm for the church because these are just shakings that always happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, these are just things that God is not waking up going like, oh my gosh. Social justice is splitting the church. Oh, my gosh. There's a pandemic. Oh, my gosh. There's. I mean, he's not doing that. He's like, I think that this is the greatest opportunity for the church. Mm-hmm. But so many people are having a difficult time seeing opportunity in the midst of their own personal pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what's causing there to be a breakdown in what could actually be a flourishing. And I'm finding lots of churches that are flourishing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it the fat, dumb, and happy people. I mean, I, I know I know leaders that are just fat, dumb, and happy. That's a bad word. I get it. I'm sorry. Send your emails to Ben Dixon. Um, uh, but what At I Creek dot I mean, yeah Mill Creek <laughs> um, But what I mean by that is they're not deterred. No. They're just like I'm good. Yeah. And I'll talk to somebody that had the exact same experience on the on the very same Sunday, and because of their emotional depletion, they're just like they're like death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. This is like the worst thing has ever happened to me. And they're looking at the exact same situation. One sees opportunity, one sees death. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about what's where's Jesus in the middle of all of this? Mm-hmm. How are you becoming a fully formed disciple? Mm-hmm. How are you looking at Jesus through all of this? Or is this all about you? For right. me, all those messages to me when I crashed were eye messages. I was not, I am not, I am. And and I think as a leader, it's. I when I came back from that, um, I took a sabbatical and a bunch of other things. When I came back from that, I burned a bunch of different metrics type stuff that I was looking at. I'm just having a relationship with Jesus. If people want to come along, great. If they don't, I get it. <clears throat> my favorite movie, I was telling you, became as good as it gets because it's like, yeah, I wish my church was better too, but like... I don't preach that good. I get it. If you want to go, I know a really good preacher down the street. I'll send you down there if you want really good preaching. <laughs> if you want great worship, it's over there. If you want to walk with some broken people and find Jesus and help some other broken people uh, into the into the kingdom, then this is a good place for you. And I became okay with that as opposed to trying to get everybody on board uh, and just not identify with this is who I am. This is my gifts. This is my strengths. This is my weaknesses. I
0: am who I am. If you come, you come. If you don't, you don't. And I'm okay with that. When you talk about that, that's really powerful. Not that it's ministering to me as a young pastor at all. <laughs> Not that it speaks to me at all. But <clears throat> I'm just thinking about other, myself, other pastors too, uh, for those that are watching this. And you reach the point of being content in mm-hmm. your relationship with Jesus. And your love for people—it yeah. just sounds like a sim- not not like you you were a simpleton, but it sounds like a simplicity, hundred percent. And there's freedom in that. I can I can hear it. I can hear it. I can sense it in in your in the story. I think there are a lot of us that need that. They, yeah. We we need to find a place of simplicity where, like for me, I'm a worker. I'm a I have a strong work ethic. I work really hard, and so when I sometimes I think pre-COVID, when I hear stuff like that, I can easily in my brain, not that I always do this, but I I start to go, well, you know, how does that work? Because I'm sort of go, go, go. But the reality is, is you're sort of changing focuses. You're not stopping who you are, but you're just saying, look, building the church is God's business. I have to be faithful to steward some of these decisions and physical realities, but I have to have the proper focus. For the person out here that's pastoring a church, or as a pastor on staff at a church, how do they get to a place of contentment? What's a step that they can take, or some steps that they can take? I'm just thinking about somebody mm-hmm. that's like, man, I really need to get to a place of simplicity. That doesn't mean I'm not a, a working hard. Well, what is that? What do you think they could do?
1: Well, for me, it was spending a lot of time in things like soul formation, mm-hmm. understanding um, it is well with my soul. For me, it was. Um, getting the focus off of myself and yeah. what I am building. For me, it was um, taking the monastic—I mean, to some people, that's a really horrible thing because of the theology behind that, but understand that that was our only theology for how many centuries or jack decades? Um, and, and the quietness before the Lord as opposed to—and I, I got saved right into Pentecost. So for me, Everything was always louder, faster, stronger, more, bigger. I mean, that's just Pentecost, right? Like we just go to the altar and pray harder and speak in tongues louder, and and I believe in all that, but I I never had a time for solitude.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I never had a time to self care. I never had a time for recreation. Um, those things were actually thought of in my mindset. Early on in my first couple of decades as a believer, as a leader, as lazy, slothful, um, not really Mm kingdom-focused. And what I try to explain to leaders all the time is, no, you are the gift. You are the reason that the church exists. In the form that it does today, because without you, that leader would not be there. This program would not be happening. That would not be happening. Mm-hmm. And so taking care of yourself is really, really important. And boomers, generally speaking, were workaholics. I mean, we all are trying to get our father's approval. Um, my dad was a college football player, then he married a skinny cheerleader. I got those genes. So, you know, like I didn't get my dad's football jeans. Like, what the heck? Why, why the, you know, so I'm trying to be a great football player, but I'm I'm five nine a buck 40 in high school that didn't do really good except for i grew up in a tiny little town Freight at Washington. Shout out to the Mighty Tigers. But you could actually get on the field in Ephraim at 140 pounds, where, you know, over here, you you just get killed. You know, some big boy you'd would get you, off the field. You would get, get taken off the field in the stretcher. And so, um, so those, so I was trying to build those things, but those are all things that we all deal with. This isn't just a pastoral thing. This isn't, this is normal life stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what we have to figure out as a Human being and our identity and who's it formed in, mm-hmm. and so as a leader, the biggest problem I think with being a pastor is it's the only profession I know that your heart is always on display. Mm-hmm. You talked about bleeding out in front of your people. Mm-hmm. What if I'm a mailman? They don't care if I'm bleeding out. If I'm a truck driver, they don't care. I mean, it doesn't pick a profession. If I'm a school teacher. It doesn't really matter. And people are judging you every day by what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. That's right. And so, everything we do is based upon whether our heart is being transformed into the image of Jesus, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work within us. And we would never say we're not. We would always be trying to do our best. But I think that... Very word trying is where we get in trouble as opposed to allowing mm-hmm. God to do his mm. um, His work within me. For me, like I'm a C student. I'm an average speaker. Um, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And all of a sudden, I would just see myself being put into places I didn't belong, particularly after years, years and years. And some of the things that we did, my wife and I, um, we served in the most backwoods, dark places, and that's where character was developed. Mm. And I don't think oftentimes that we put enough stock in character development because what's going to come out of you and what came out of me, if it was in a large stage, if you saw what came out of me when I was bleeding, you would never want to follow me. And then... Little by little, that character is built out in smaller groups to where I can stand in front of people and have character and have peace and have the joy of the Lord. Um, and I think that a lot of times we miss that. Mm-hmm. And people don't finish well. They they say now at 64 years old, they say four out of five pastors don't finish well. Wow. You know, well, that's really difficult when you're a young leader to look at that stat and go, wow, that's my future. It's more difficult at 64 when those four are your friends. Mm -hmm. I have names and faces and stories. And what is the difference? Well, I think the difference is always the heart, Mm -hmm. it's always how we respond to things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. We don't oftentimes get a choice in what's going to happen today. Someone could walk into your office and say, Ben, you're the worst forever, and you're going to have that bleeding out situation. But you can choose in those painful situations to get bitter, and I hate to do this, or better. Um, But the truth is, that's really it. It's our heart on display in front of people. And there's nothing worse in my mind than listening to a preacher just preach biblical context without any heart. I hate that. Yeah, amen. So for me, I'm looking—I want to see in your heart. Mm-hmm. I made a living just processing my heart in front of a congregation on a tiny island for years. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't like it was a good heart. It was like, this is the evil I'm dealing with today. I think a lot of times as pastors, we're trying to, to tell them how great we are as opposed to how broken we are. Mm. People want to follow broken people that are being redeemed. They don't want to follow perfect people because they know they can't get there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm just processing a lot of what you're saying. I'm thinking about uh, this idea of con- of contentment. I mean, obviously Paul talks about it from a point of being content in all things, like whether, you know, I had a lot or I had a little uh, when it comes to possessions or finances. But I think the truth is being content in the journey that you're in with God for pastors and for leaders um, not trying to be somebody, mm-hmm. but being good with who you are before God. And you're in a sanctification process, like you're growing and you have to have a license to grow. I know I'm not everything I should be and could be and want to be, um, but I'm content that I'm taking steps and he's helping me to be better and he's helping me to be stronger, not just for you. I'm not doing it just for you, but I'm doing it because I want to love the Lord and I'm a son before right. God. And that's vital and And important, and I appreciate the fact that you're just talking about how, like, sometimes I think people don't realize that the pastorate um, is is so unique. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of it it seems self grandizing for me. Like, if I stand up in front of Northwest Church, who I love, I love you guys, Amen. Mm -hmm. But if I stand up in front of our church and I say these kinds of things, it can it can seem like I'm saying it to get something back, or I want you to sympathize with me, and so. It is
1: October, Pastor Appreciation Month. Yeah, so- Bring your fruitcakes. If you guys fan. don't
0: know what to get, like there are these things called Testaments, you know, get mints for your pastor. You know, we New preach. Testaments. We, yeah, net Testaments, they Gideons. each have a Bible verse on them. Amen. Or what's that, Pure Flix? You know, you can get us that subscription to television <laughs> where it filters out all the bad stuff and you know that we're always pure. Uh, <laughs> I've got a whole list of things you can get your pastor- uh, you know, buy your pastor a sword so that he can preach from Ephesians six properly. Right. I think that would be great to pull out like a very huge and not a ninja sword. We're talking like medieval sword. That's one. as tall as I am. That would be really great. You know, the whole Roman armor mm-hmm. too. It'd be a great illustration. It would feed back into you if you purchase that for me, but any, anyhow, um, or gift cards. That's what I, that's where I live. <laughs> gift, cards, gift cards were built for me, but I I'm thinking about like, um, how we? I, did, I got sidetracked there, yeah. but I'm, I'm back. My fault, Dave. I'm back. I'm back. My fault. <laughs> <Soon>. <laughs> um The pastorate is unique, and in the experience that that you have and and what I what I have is that it is like that because I'm a disciple and I'm a discipler, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a learner of Jesus, and then I'm one who's helping people learn of Jesus, and I'm doing that publicly. I'm doing. I facilitate this organized, larger, organized. Uh, church because of how many people we have, it's less organic and more organized. Now we, we want it to grow organically, but the larger the church, the more organized it needs, it needs to be. And so it's easy to kind of pick off a lot of things that are um, systemically or systematically wrong uh, because you just got a ton of people here. Right. And so the pastor does kind of get blamed for a lot of those things. I can remember wasn't that long ago where we let go of one of our programs and I got an email from somebody. If you're watching, you know, you're watching. But I got an email from somebody and they said, like, you're literally going to affect people's lives in the future. Um, And they might've mentioned the word generations to come. Like they were so mad that we let go of a program, uh, didn't ask one question, Uh, didn't want to reason. Like God even says, come let us reason together, you know, and he's talking about our sin. He's not even talking about making a change in the program, but um, they were like, you're going to affect generations to come as a result of this decision. Mm -hmm. And I, and I remember getting that email and I just thought, look, first of all, uh, Christians need to have conversations. I mean, we made this decision because we prayed about it and thought through it and felt that it was the right decision. I don't mind somebody having an opinion or a view or anything like that, but it was just a reflection as I walked away from that email. And I just thought, in some people's mind, it's okay to send that email and berate Mm -hmm. a pastor who again is wrong. And I'm, it it presupposes I'm right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you you're wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in my rightness, not have a conversation because then I'm going to get challenged on my viewpoint, which is really healthy actually. And I don't think people realize that like you feel the freedom to do that. You know, you wouldn't do that if you work for Microsoft, you wouldn't do that to your supervisor. I mean, if you were a nurse, you're not going to do that to your doctor, unless you want to quit, you're not doing that. So, in other environments, there's a uniqueness in the pastorate because there is, in a sense, there's this freedom for for folks to just berate and give opinions and talk in the, the back uh, in the back room like it doesn't affect this thing that we call family. And the reality is 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 it does. Mm-hmm. And something that I think is is important, and, and I think you you hit this, but I just want to say it. Uh, I want to say it the way I'm thinking it is that. There's a passage that says, "If you strike strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter." Yeah, I told one of our staff members the other day. I said, "The he- my health is of utmost importance to you, not because I want you to care about me and and you know right. make me feel better, but think about what happens if I get taken down." Hundred percent. We've got a couple thousand people at our church. Think about what happens. So there could be this idea: Well, we'll bring in a better pastor. Yeah, and. 60% of the people will leave just based on church wound alone just just because of the wound people will like it this what what god has built over 43 years in our church And a person like myself feels like it's on my shoulders. And I'm trying to broaden that by putting it on everybody else's shoulders as well. So we carry it together. But the reality is, is that if a person is not invested in the health of their pastor by praying and caring for them, not accepting heresy, not accepting, you know, uh, immaturity as norm, but the stuff that we disagree with, the stuff, the issues we're talking about, we should endeavor to have conversations. We should ask questions. We should be invested in prayer and the health of the leader and the leadership so that this whole thing that we value actually makes it in the next generation and in, and is invested and stronger and greater. And I think it's an interesting reflection is that some people know that and some people don't know that. Some people don't realize like an email is bl- is the one out of 10 that's blasting and making things worse. It's providing a context uh, for, for toxicity in a person? Like how many emails can you get? How many messages can you get? How many conversations can you get where you're the bad guy until it actually starts to affect you? Not very many. <laughs> um,
1: not very many because we take those to bed with us at night and that's what we roll around in the in the sheets instead of sleeping with, um, with is we're thinking about those thoughts or we're mm-hmm. replaying them over in our mind. And the problem with emails, social media, text, any of those kinds is that communication is very, very limited. Because you're not seeing the person like we're looking at each other right now, we know how the other person is responding. We add re- reflection, inflection, um, anger. We add mm-hmm. disappointment. All those kinds of things. Whenever we read any uh, any of those kinds of, of messages, and so and so, you're absolutely accurate. Those things take a toll on the leader, and the leader is incredibly important. And I think the biggest message when I'm talking to pastors, coaching right now is what I'm doing, um, which was my favorite part of supervising. Now I'm just doing that on a full-time, well, kind of full-time basis, (laughs) um, is asking them how they're caring for themselves. Mm -hmm. And the responses are not good because it's not a mindset for the average, particularly younger pastor. I know that when I hit the wall, Self-care would never have been an issue that I would have thought of. It wow. was just never something that was talked about. It was never something I thought about. I, I would. It would have been selfish for me. Um, sabbaticals, I took the very first one in the entire Northwest District. To my knowledge, I went to my supervisor. I had this plan, and they simply looked at it and said, like, that's a great idea. I should have done that at some point in my life. Well, I didn't do it because I wanted to. I did it because I was a wreck. And if I stood up in front of my people, I would just start crying. And I I didn't know why. Mm. And so, like, I had to figure out what's wrong with me. How am I going to do this? Can I do this? And so, the pastor is the gift. It's not your enemy. He's not the person that's on the wrong side. Um, Abe Lincoln would want you to know it's uh, charity towards all, even your leader. And so... I think that the thing that I'm always asking leaders when I'm coaching them is, "What are you doing to care for yourself? Mm-hmm. What are you? What's your Sabbath routine? What's your exercise routine? What's your, what's your date life with your wife like? What's your vacations like? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, those things like very self-serving. They're not. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a healthy pastor, you don't have a healthy church. Yeah. Ask me how I know. I've been to them. And, and the pastor just bleeds out into his congregation, or in my situation when I was trying to do everything myself, it was anger. I was beating the sheep to try to get them in line, mm. uh, and I didn't realize that, but I was raised by uh, my dad I describe as a Vince Lombardi wannabe. He was a football coach, and I think of my dad... He had the high and tight haircut. He reminds me; just reminds me of Vincent Lombardi. Vincent Lombardi is a very, very tough guy, and that was my dad. And so that was the reflection of who I was. I wasn't trying to be that; It just was was natural. And so, you know, when the wind sprints come, you yell and say, "Get in line, let's go!" You know, suck it up. Um, as opposed to, I don't, I don't see Jesus doing that. You know, I don't see that's how Jesus mm-hmm. led his his disciples. And so, for me. It was a lifelong learning and growing and transition to become a healthy person so I could lead in a healthy manner. And it wasn't about trying to, to vindicate me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about trying to justify my leadership or say, look, I really am okay. I really can do this. I really, you know, all you people said I, w- I wasn't very good, but now look, look, God's doing something good in my life. It's because I'm good. No, it's not. It's because of what he did on the cross. Mm-hmm. I even have the opportunity or the right to talk about these things. And so understanding our own heart and our own brokenness, our strengths, our weaknesses is a huge part of leadership. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories, um, a young Pastor, um, who's my age, was decades ago planning a church, and and um, back then the way you responded to your denominational headquarters was they left an eight hundred number for you to call if you ever have a problem. That was their their way of care. So he called that eight hundred number, and he was telling them the supervisor at that point the the problem that he'd had and how these people had hurt him, and the supervisor just responded and said, "They crucified Jesus." Oh. What do you think they were going to do to you? Oh, which is true, right? Mm-hmm. But yet we don't ever think about that. We think they're going to love me, they're going to support me, they're going to they're going to get behind me, they're going to fund my pet projects, they're going to listen to every word that I say because I'm an amazing orator. No, they crucified Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He said to come and be like him, and 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 we don't sign up for that, you know. In a third world country, that's very normal leadership. In American
0: culture, it's like. Put that person up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Wow. I hope some of you pastors are getting some out of this because I know there's real pastoral pain and you don't have to be a pastor to feel this because many of you aren't pastors and right. you're like, Hey, I feel this as a father or a mother. And right? I think there's a pretty strong parallel when you think about like the family, for example, and part of my journey and leading through COVID has been reflecting on the revelation that the church is a family and how mm-hmm. far from that sometimes we are. Now, again, Northwest Church is the best church, the most amazing church, right? the most amazing people that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> no, really, I, I I always tell people this. I think our church is awesome and mm-hmm. I think we have great people and I hope that I'm a good pastor and I, and I try to be... But we still all have to work all this out together, and we really are. But there's real pastoral pain, and and parallel this to your life, right? Like father, mother, brother, sister, whatever you're going through, um, it is a different season.
1: Yeah, really we're is.
0: going through things that are similar, but not the same, right? Because we're we're tacking on a, a pandemic, which is different, and sort of a climax of social, civil, racial unrest, and that mm-hmm. that also I don't think that's done. I think we're really I think we've entered into a new era of truly dealing with things in the civic arena. I, oh, I really sure. do. I was at a, a government meeting, a, a city meeting in, in locally here a couple of weeks ago, and you could feel the anger in the room. I mean, it was just obvious, right? And then there was a gentleman that started to speak. And as he spoke, I could resonate with him. I felt there was a... a simplicity in him, a maturity in him that he communicated with. He had the same concerns that others did, but he didn't speak with the same bite. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can always kind of, you can kind of feel the bite that's in someone, like they haven't dealt with that. And I resonated with him the most when he spoke, I was like, I could follow that guy because whatever... He's speaking from is, in my opinion, a well worked through heart, mm-hmm. and he was clear about what he needed to do and where he needed to go and how this needed to work, and I could hear it in the way he spoke. And I think, I think the journey getting to the place of health, when we think about leading through COVID, is um, we have to care for ourselves. You have to find a place of self care and, uh, and 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 recreation, whatever that looks like. Sabbath is important. All of that stuff is is vital. Now I read the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. So I would start somebody there, okay? Sure. You don't have to be a leader to read this book, but The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Scazzaro, that's a great book. Um, you know, it's a lot of words and he gets down to sort of the nuts and bolts of, are you taking a Sabbath? And what does that look like? And do you have recreation? And are you letting everything sort of be on your shoulders or are you properly dispersing it? There's a lot of really good, thoughts in there. And I don't think he's concluding a conversation. I think he's starting one that we need to continue to have in Mm -hmm. our churches and in our homes. But I think there's a reset that's happening with the church. And part of that is that we're going back to things that we believe and that are true. And that's what I'm praying right now. I'm praying that as we lead through COVID, we're having a recognition of what needs to not necessarily change, but the things that we kind of have that are important to us we recognize we're not doing those or adhering to them properly. So I had, there were there were four points in a sermon that I gave not long ago, and I, and these were them. I was thinking about how to lead through COVID 2.0. And one of them was reaffirm the Bible as our ultimate authority. 100%. Because so many of us were saying that I believe the Bible and I follow the Bible and the Bible is my authority. And we preach the doctrine of the authority of scripture. But then when it comes to a pandemic and how we respond to governing authorities and how we respond to the body of Christ and how we submit to and yield to and pray for our church and how we interact with others and how we respond to people when they hate us, we love our enemies and all of these biblical principles that are many of them straight from the mouth of Jesus even. Right. Are we really practicing them? So you can't say, I believe the Bible is true and it's my ultimate authority and preach the doctrine of the authority of scripture. And then when you get into a jam or a difficulty or a season you've never been in before and then not, and do everything but scripture. I mean, that's not, Mm -hmm. (coughs) you have a doctrine but you don't have a lifestyle. And so I think God wants to integrate those. Here's my doctrine and okay, my lifestyle wasn't what I believe and this is an opportunity in tragedy. And that was my first point. My second one was unity with our church family. When I came to Northwest, the Holy Spirit put on my heart two scriptures because I journaled like crazy. I mean, when (laughs) you were part of that transition, Mm -hmm. honor you for that, another gift card you deserve. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Dave helped us uh, transition from Pastor Stephen, Mary Schell, to myself and Bridget and, and Northwest went through that over two years ago now. There are two passages in all of my journaling that I did in that process, and one of them was Ephesians chapter four and verse one through five. And one of the pa- one of the points that Paul makes—I mean, the whole thing is about unity—but he actually says, "Preserve the unity uh, of the spirit through the bond of peace." Right? And I thought through that: preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So I was so the statement that I would make is: the Holy Spirit produces unity in God's family; we preserve it. So that means. Uh, the NIV says, make every effort to preserve the unity. And I thought, man, what efforts are we making to preserve the unity? It's going to cost us. Like that's important. Like to preserve the unity of the spirit, what efforts are you going to have to make in this season in order for unity in God's family to happen? And some, some of that is like you have to stop posting some things. Right. Sometimes you have to start, stop saying some things. You have to have personal conversations. Yeah. That actually breeds unity. You have, see, the Bible as our ultimate authority. It's got to have hands and feet. And then I talked about honoring governing authorities and what does that mean? And what does that look like? We can't just go, oh, I know your version of Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and Titus 3 uh, is different from mine. I have never had anybody who sort of uh, put up their nose at me for trying to live in the tension of honoring governing authorities. I've never had them actually share with me their view of Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, and Titus 3 that differed. Like, I've, like they just they just make the comment like, oh, no. you're one of those that believes that we're supposed to honor the governing authorities. Right. And I'm like, can you at least explain to me how you see these passages that are inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Can, can you show me how different your view is and biblical it is at the same time, because I realize like not every minute detail and we're trying to find that, that space of living the Bible, but, but, you know, not going crazy. I've just never had a person that supposedly disagreed ever give me a different interpretation of that. So that was interesting. And anyways, my fourth and final point was And let me ask you about this. This is where I'm going. You didn't know I gave you four points of a sermon. It is on YouTube. It is on (laughs) podcast. You can listen to it. I'm not saying it's great. I'm an average preacher. The fourth point is lead our families well. And this to me was like uh, uh, a huge issue. So my wife and I, the, the goal for us is to be on the same page. Like we're on the same page about mandates and vaccines and, um, how what we talk to our kids about and how we're asking our children to be thinking and praying about this and what we're learning and listening to in this season, what we're not listening to in this season. So one of our principles in COVID leading through it has been, we need to be on the same page. Yeah. I highly recommend to lead your family well. Like you, married couples have to be on the same page. If you're not, you need to pray through that. And it might take a while. I'm not saying it happens overnight, but also how we're leading our children um, they're looking up to how we're responding right now. I mean, put aside what you, what you believe and what you think in terms of like all that's going on. Your kids are watching what you're doing. right? And so our churches, our churches are watching what we're doing and right. the world's watching what we're doing as churches. And our example is so powerful right now. And so when we're thinking about, Dave, just leading through COVID, what do you think some of the challenges are for us um, whether we talk about families or we talk about churches, how do we come to unity? Like how do we, because this is one of the points that I made in my sermon, how do we breed a type of unity that we see in the Bible, but is maybe not always seen in the church today? How do we get there? What are steps yeah, that we can take? It's really an interesting conversation. Um,
1: you know, I grew up, like we talked about the 90s Um And there was formulaic ways to do that in Christianity, how to have a family altar, how to do all these different things. And we were terrible at that. (laughs) We never did any of that stuff the way the experts said we were supposed to. (laughs) And we had conflict openly in my home. Like, it was not unacceptable for our kid to push back. It was unacceptable for them to speak disrespectfully. And so... um, a lot of our friends struggled And even my wife and I, we'll, we'll go at it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, if something goes, like, we're having a conversation. Like, right now, it's going. Um, so we try to not be, like, publicly yelling at each other. We don't raise our voices. Right, dear? Um, mm-hmm. And so those kinds of things are really, really interesting because y- what your kids will, will learn from you is caught. It's not taught. Amen. And so somebody was texting with me about something one of my kids was doing in ministry. I have three children, adult children, um, all pushing 40 or in their 40s. And I I told this person, I said, my kids currently, they do what they saw me do and what they're in reaction to what they saw me do. Oh, yeah. They do them both. And so they just do things automatically. I am attending our son Kyle's church. It's an hour and one minute away from our home uh, up north. We go there every Sunday that we're not speaking or doing something different. And, um, and they close the service exactly in something that I said all the time, which I kind of think is silly now, but they do it. and Because uh, and, it was caught. It wasn't taught. Mm-hmm. And, and some of my kids are doing things that I would never do because... Um, because they're in reaction to certain things. And I think deconstruction, a lot of what's happening with deconstruction with younger leaders is because they never had the opportunity to have that conversation with their folks. They Mm. were told this is the way it is, and now they're going like, really? As opposed to, well, let's have that conversation. All of our children had an experience with Jesus outside of our home. Mm -hmm. All of our children uh, were discipled by someone other than me all of our children um when they're growing up um ma- messed up and and our congregation would come and rat on rat them out and you know they were doing such and such in the church and I'm like oh that's nothing you, just, you see what they did at home uh, <laughs> uh, you know because they're always trying to put the pastor's kid in this glass bowl and you know knock on it and kind of like you're at the Defiant zoo. Um, And we just never allowed that. And so Mm -hmm. things are caught. And so having those conversations and being able to disagree and be able to have communication. I think, keeps people from having to later blog about how jacked up things were. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I encourage people to have discussion, which is, I think, one of the most difficult things about social media right now is Mm -hmm. you just puke on a page and everybody thinks you're so amazing. Like, you're not. You're saying the <laughs> that's junk true. that's in your heart as opposed to processing with someone.
0: That's great. That's a good point. And I point. think
1: that communication, these emails that pastors are getting and, and getting skewered on the way out the door, if someone were to sit down with them, they would never say the things that they say in no, an it's email. True. They would never treat somebody that disrespectfully face to face, generally speaking. Never is a strong word. I get it. So having conversations about what I agree with, what I disagree with, people will say like, "Well, I disagree with that." And I said like, "You know, I disagree with myself a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I, I I get it. It's not. It's not that we." have this perfect family. And I think a lot of times in in American Christianity, it's putting the little stickers on the back of our minivan Mm -hmm. saying, you know, these are how many we have and we're all good and everything's great. And we dress nice. And I love uh, Maverick City's, you know, uh, uh, polo shirt and khaki pants, you know, put up a fight, Mm -hmm. but, but mama was right. You know, that whole lyrics Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. song I love because that's how we raised our kids as well. But they had an opportunity to push. And I I don't like disrespect. I think a lot of times today, parents are not allowing them to push. They're allowing them to steamroll them. Mm. So they don't have any boundary whatsoever, and they think that's open communication. That's not open communication. That's disrespect. Mm -hmm. That's disunity. Mm -hmm. So learning that balance. We all want our kids, we want to shoot them like an arrow into the kingdom, but I'm telling you right now, it's teaching them how to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. It's not keeping them away from evil. Evil's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's in your heart, it's in their heart. Watch a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Evil is in the heart of the human. It's not whether you let them go to public school or, or not, or private school. I ran both of them. I was Formerly a teacher, and I ran a public. I worked in a public school and I ran a Christian school. I sent my kids to public school because the Christian school wasn't producing Jesus followers; Mm -hmm. it was producing angry religious. I'm not doing that. That's awful, and I was running it. Mm -hmm. I said, "Like that's not what I want with my kids," Mm -hmm. and so I think there's a lot of things that go into having unity, and it's not always thinking the same, acting the same, believing the same. It's. Being able to understand our differences, understand who we are, and still love. Mm -hmm. Abe Lincoln, again, he's looking at the South going like, this was an American problem. He didn't say that was a South problem in that inaugural address. It would have been easy to say, you Southerners were terrible. How Mm -hmm. could you do this to another human being? I believe that. I think Abe believed that. He said, an American problem. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We don't have malice towards anybody. Mm -hmm. How many Christians say they don't have malice towards anybody? How many of us don't have malice towards people in our own home? And then love towards everyone. Mm. And I think they'll know us by our love. They're not knowing us because we're not loving. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's a huge thing that we need to take, not just in our own family, but in our entire
0: life. I mean, allowing for differences is hard. I I I can actually truthfully experientially in this last two years say i had to really grow in allowing for people to think and believe differently on things that are just not they're either not kingdom issues or yeah. they're not kingdom priorities yeah where i was like okay i hear you like anybody the the statement that i would make is anybody that would sit down with me and talk to me whether it was because i was a a disciple or a pastor or a friend it was a form of respect even communication was a form of respect now when you're communicating there is a disrespectful and respectful way to communicate Absolutely. but i almost felt like in this season because of social media and the way that we communicate actually getting to the table was even a form of respect because it was so Absolutely. abnormal and and i would say like honestly if we're going to discipline ourselves to move towards unity we have to go back to having conversations and that's what i hear 100%. All through what you're talking about, we have to have conversations because it changes the conversation just because you're at the table. Absolutely. And I would highly caution anybody from uh, sending emails in an inflammatory way. I, I honestly, so I personally unhelpful. don't do it. And uh, anytime that I've almost done it, I, I just feel this conviction. Um, I'm not even saying that I'm super righteous in my restraint. I'm saying mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. felt what many of us feel. But the longer I processed and prayed about it and really was willing to sit down with somebody, it changed by the time I got to the table. And it wasn't because I compromised, it was because I realized that there was more to the story. And I I really do think if we're going to have unity, it's going to come through personal communication, consideration. And I grew, and I think we need to grow in allowing for the differences yeah. that some of us are going to have. Like you said with Abe Lincoln and you said also with um, even in the church that you've pastored, uh, we have differences. And I right. don't know why. I mean, if all of a sudden it seems like conformity and I mean, listen, when you're, when you're parenting control sounds like a very attractive option. <laughs> okay. If I could just sit you down and tell you what to do and what not to do, it sounds attractive, but it doesn't produce the right things. Nope. It just doesn't. And so I think that's really, really, uh really so, really powerful
1: so here's my leadership trick in uh getting bad emails oh no <laughs> here's my I, 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 here's I, I, my leadership I, hack uh, I, I want to type this, this will one help out. you <laughs> um seriously uh, I, when I get a bad email I would hit my response only I would hit forward button I wouldn't hit e- respond return button and I would send it to someone that I respect uh, maybe my administrative assistant maybe uh, someone another person someone in this circle of experiences. And I would just type my response, my unguarded like puke response. This is how I feel about that. And then I would send it. And I said, I'm not sending this to this person. I want you to critique it. I want you to think about it. I want you to help me to process it. And I would send it to them and they'd call me going like, bro, what? I'm like, I'm not sending it. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and I almost never sent those. And occasionally, that I would help, they would help me edit them to make them respectful, and I would respond that way. But almost every time, what I would do is I'd send it to somebody else. I'd process my ugliness, mm. and then I'd pick the phone up and go, okay, bro, talk to me. Mm. Because when you talk to that person, they're not even saying oftentimes what I heard mm-hmm. and what made me so upset because I put a tonality on that that they didn't even— they didn't even mean. And so, for me, it was learning the discipline of not taking every word literal, not exegeting emails. I mean, when we exegete scripture, you shouldn't exegete emails. Mm-hmm. They're not that thought through. They are not that Holy Spirit-led. Mm-hmm. We can exegete scripture. Don't exegete text messages.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Respond to somebody else. Let them tell you when you're being good and bad, and your heart is evil, and so on, and then pick the phone up and have the conversation. Say, like, hey, can you unpack this with me? What did you mean? Mm -hmm. Nine out of ten times, it wasn't even what I thought it was. Mm -hmm.
0: Accountability balances us out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for sure. There are a lot of things that yeah, I mean the, the reality is you got things that are in your heart that are ready to come out, and all it takes is somebody to press the button. Absolutely. And if we're not careful about that, when somebody presses the button and you let it come out, it's not going to be. It's not going to be good. It perpetuates the no. cycle. I want to close by just saying this. Um, I many. I mean, a lot of people that are watching this know that as I pastor Northwest, I I got to be the successor for. Uh, Pastor Steve shell, and it's been an amazing thing. And one of the things that Pastor Steve uh, said to me that I think is kind of ringing true in my ears is just stay focused on the Bible. And I think the reality is, is it's so simple. It's such a simple thing to say, you know, just, it sounds cliche, but Pastor Mm -hmm. Steve's point was that don't make it about yourself. He even used, he would talk to me and I still talk to him. Pastor Steve, if you ever watch this, I love you. But he would say, you know, in the old school days, the pastors, not, not priests, but even in the Protestant movement, pastors would wear like the robe. And he asked me a question one time. He said, do you know why pastors wore those robes? And I said, I don't know. Is it fashion? I would never wear one. (laughs) But he said, the reason is because the, the, the point of it was to not, so people don't see you. That, that, hmm. So like, it's not like it's not about your clothes. right? And that was originally, I mean, it became religious later, but it was about not seeing your clothes, not seeing how fancy you were. Right. The robe was to hide yourself and to just put forth God's word. And I never thought about that before. And as we were talking about it, one of the things he would just say is that, particularly in the pandemic is he said, look, nothing has changed in terms of what you need to do. You need to preach the, the Bible, stay true to the Bible, give the interpretation of the Bible, and, uh, and seek to live the Bible. And I was really encouraged by that, particularly in this season, because that really is what all of us need to do. We need to, what does the Bible say? Right. How do we live it? Um, I think we need to live authentically and honestly and openly. Um, and I think as the church comes into unity and we think about the future and leading through COVID, ultimately we've got mm-hmm. to really go after this mission. I mean, really, I mean, at the end of the day, our life is going to be over and we're really going to give an account um, for the way we lived our life and ultimately the faithfulness to Jesus. And I want us to be that way. I know you're passionate about the mission of Christ of not only seeing the law saved, but seeing disciples made. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're asking the question, am I really making true and lasting disciples? It stops a lot of our anger and social media posts and blaming other people. Absolutely. One of the best things a person can do when they're frustrated, angry, upset, is to find someone that doesn't know anything as a Christian and teach them how to read the Bible, teach them how to think about their life before Christ. It really resets you. And you're like, wow, I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And now you have to go back to your basics and the roots of your Christian faith and say, how do I help this person know something when they know nothing? It really prioritizes what this mission is all about that's been put into our Mm -hmm. hands. Honestly, I would give you this advice. If you're really strong, struggling with this season. Find a person that doesn't know the Lord very well, doesn't know the Bible very well, doesn't know the Christian faith very well, and start to disciple them and watch how it starts to shift your heart into making sure that you're helping someone become all that they can be in Christ. And I think for me as a pastor, keeping that the center of how I'm thinking and what I'm doing is ultimately um, one of the most valuable things for me at this time is that I want to have self-care and all those things are very, very valuable. Um, but I think just as the church, we've got to make sure that uh, we're not just, uh, you know, trying to create some utopia where I don't ever have to deal with problems and difficulties. Like COVID's probably here to stay. Yeah. I mean, and if it's not COVID, it's something else. Things yeah. are going to come. You, you shared a bunch about stuff that you've dealt with in the past. COVID is different, but it's similar. Mm-hmm. Tragedy, trial, problems, difficulties, viruses, health concerns. Um, when people get into their older stages, I mean, it may not be this virus, but it's definitely something else. Paul right. said, uh, outwardly, we're decaying, yeah. <laughs> but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we are dying. Physically, we are dying, but, but is what's inward being renewed? And that's what he talked about. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And that's what I pray for all of us so that the church can be healthy, that we can be healthy and we can lead well through this, whether it's our families or our church. And I encourage you, those that are watching and listening today, Mm -hmm. Dave's got an interesting uh, vantage point that I like to glean from. I pray, and I know you have gleaned from this. I want to bring him back. Let's bring him back. And thanks for uh, joining us today. And uh, will you come back? 100%. He's coming back. This is his second time. Three is the charm. We're going to go past three. But God bless you. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. And we will see you not next week, but we will see you in two weeks. Amen. See you then. All right. God bless